Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Srizabasti with the Find Your Film Podcast. Our latest episode is a 47-minute interview with director, writer, producer, and also podcast producer, Joe Russo. Russo recently, last year, he directed and co-wrote with his longtime collaborator, Chris Lamont, the thriller, mystery thriller, The Au Pair Nightmare, which, which is a Lifetime film. And I usually don't watch Lifetime films. I ended up really, that's probably... You know what? Maybe I should watch more Lifetime films because if they're as good as The Au Pair Nightmare, I'm going to return to that network. The Au Pair Nightmare was shot on 14 days with a limited budget. Ended up being a really, really engaging mystery thriller for me, in my opinion. And that movie was recommended by our co-host, Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes has been a fan of Joe Russo's work for a while. So he's watched all of his movies. He's He and Bruce, I believe, are fans of the Joe Russo-produced anthology horror anthology nightmare cinema which i believe had contributions from joe dante and david slade and mick garris also russo collaborates to this day with director filmmaker mick garris on the podcast postmortem with mick garris so he produces that show and collaborates with garris on that program as well it's a very critically acclaimed and popular podcast program for cinephiles horror fans etc etc very interesting interviews i mean just as of this recording i'm halfway done with I'm halfway done with Garris' interview with the Werewolves Within filmmakers, and I'm really enjoying that episode as well. Now, specifically for this podcast episode, Russo talks about his beginnings as a writer and as a producer. It's a very interesting, and and director, it's a very interesting story because he actually started off as a film critic, then evolved into... I'm making critics seem like horrible miscreants or something, but actually, he, I guess he creatively transitioned from being a, a, a journalist, a film writer, film critic, to actually a development executive, producer, production assistant, and everything like that, and then transitioned into becoming a producer and director, which he is now today with the Opera Nightmare. He also was one of the co-writers, along with his buddy Chris Lamont, on the Bruce Willis film, Hard Kill, and also, actually, that movie was headlined by Jesse Metcalf, Jesse Metcalf and Bruce Willis in Hard Kill, a movie that I really enjoyed as well. So, he talks about those movies, he talks about his upcoming producing projects, which is, I believe, he's one of the producers for an untitled Hulk Hogan pick. Also, on The Craft End, he talks about, he discusses just advice for writers, if you're really into learning how to, not learning how to write scripts, but just how to balance your, your daily workflow. As far as being a screenwriter, he has some very, very practical advice on how to apply that. Because Russo, he works, not only does he work on the podcast, and he has all those directing projects trying to get off the ground, and he's also writing on a constant basis. And that's also balancing the, his producing ventures as well. So this is really cool. This a lot of a lot of this interview is thanks to co-host Eric Holmes, who really really wanted to have Russo on the program, and thanks to him, me and Bruce Perky, fellow co-host Bruce Perky, were able to really see and enjoy the Up Air Nightmare. And again, all of us enjoy. I forgot to add myself in, into the mix. All of us enjoy that horror anthology, Nightmare Cinema. I definitely need to see more postmortem, postmortem, and I really enjoyed. Oh. And he, has, he actually talks about his favorite Walter Hill movie as well in this. It's a long intro. I'm looking at it right now. It's three minutes and 30 seconds. I'm going to shut up. Enjoy this interview with Joe Russo. There's a lot of really good stuff to be had. Thank you again, guys, so much for your support. Please subscribe to this channel or subscribe to our podcast. Or just hit up, you know, honestly, hit watch the Op Air Nightmare, Nightmare Cinema. And also check out Post Mortem with Mick Garris. But 
personally, on a selfish note, I want you right now immediately to go check out the Au Pair Nightmare. Tell me what you guys think, whether you love it, hate it, neutral about it, and comment. Um, reach out to us or just comment below on this video or via our podcast. All right, all right guys, I'm going to shut up now. Most importantly, here's Joe Russo talking about pretty much everything under the sun regarding cinema and writing. Take care, guys. Bye. Hey everyone, here we are back with another rare, actually. We should be doing this a lot more just to interview really interesting filmmakers. We're back here with Find Your Film with an interview with director Joe Russo, the director, writer behind the au pair, co-writer, behind the au pair nightmare. I just saw this movie. I absolutely, absolutely highly recommend this, especially if you're a fan of the works of Hitchcock, you love mystery thrillers, all within the milieu of a lifetime film. Very interesting gumbo pot mixture. And you know who actually tipped me onto this was Eric Holmes. First of all, welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And thank you for the... uh... The kind words about the movie. Uh. Speaking of kind words, the idea for this episode was thanks to co-host Eric Holmes. Eric, you've been mentioning and praising the work of Joe Russo for weeks on past episodes. What do you love about his work and why the heck did you drag him onto our show? <laughs> well, he's, uh, well, first of all, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Postmortem. I listen to that every week. When I saw that uh, you did Up Here Nightmare, I'm like, well, I got to watch that. And I, I loved how uh, you're really committed to the uh, the lifetime aesthetic. And it, uh, I, I think I mentioned at one point, I was kind of hoping to go full on martyrs by the end of it. Didn't quite get there. But uh, uh, and then, of course, uh, I heard on uh, the uh, Nick Taylor Horror Show YouTube channel, which everyone should check out because it's awesome. He interviews everyone and they're all great. Um, and then you talked about your it's, it's kind of like uh, when, when you make a movie, you want that green light and you want to get going fast. But yours was almost a little too fast, it seemed. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, it, it was like the pendulum swing completely the other way. But the the so the hard time you had getting that movie together and just how quickly you had to go. It was amazing how tight that movie was and how clean it was like there's. You know, you, you, you know, you, you nailed the, uh, the genre, you nailed the look and it's just clean. And it's just uh, from a technical standpoint, it's amazing that you pulled that movie off the way you did. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was quite an experience. I mean, we had, uh, 14 days to make the movie, which I think is what, what you're talking about. And, uh, we only had kind of leading up to that. We only had less than a month of prep, um, you know, we, we probably had about a week of soft prep and two weeks of hard prep uh, and then two weeks to make the movie. So it was you're right. It was a really like, you know, trial by fire, uh, you know, hang on by the seat of your pants kind of experience. Um, one one question I kind of wanted to ask, because uh, uh, besides uh, writing and directing, you have a lot of producing credits. Yeah. And and I've always wondered this and you're the guy to ask. Um you have what like the hell, what the hell is a producer? A, well, like <laughs> so you got executive producer, associate producer, regular producer, but also uh you produce a uh a documentary which I haven't seen yet one tenth of a second. Oh yeah. And you've produced shorts and you're producing the Hulk Hogan biopic and the new uh Peter Farrelly movie, which the yeah. greatest beer run ever sounds pretty awesome. But uh, I guess what, what the question is, is what are the different producer jobs? And I imagine they're different movie to movie, but like what, um, what have your roles been as producer or different roles in different movies? 
Sure, sure. I mean, that's that's that what you what you kind of just said hits the nail on the head. Is I've had kind of different involvements and different roles in, in various different movies. Um, you know, when I first moved out to Los Angeles, uh, I got a job working for the producer of X Men and Wild Wild West, um, and so I was his assistant first, and then I became his development executive. So a lot of times, producers. They're 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 the driving force in uh, in development in finding the intellectual property and coming up with the idea or cracking an idea with the writer, um, and so I kind of started specializing in that. Uh, you know, my first five, six, seven years out here. Um, you know, Nightmare Cinema, which is one of the movies that I produce uh, that that Mick Garris, my partner on Postmortem. Uh, he he directed and 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 along with a lot of other talented directors, but that started with him and I having a general meeting when I was a development executive at this production company, and just meeting and talking and hearing that he wanted to try and do a a new modern day Masters of Horror, and I was like, I love Masters of Horror. How do we how do we go about doing that? Uh, and it was kind of my job to figure out how to put those pieces together. Um, and that's, that's kind of what a producer is, right? Like they're the ones who have to go out and take this nebulous idea or a book or an article and, and find the writers, the directors, the financing, all of those, try to pull all of those pieces together. Um, and so, uh, and that's one type of producer. (laughs) Uh, there, there's, there's also a whole other contingent of producers that, specifically focus specializing on making the movie um you've got producers who uh are in charge of the, they're typically called line producers unit production managers um you know but they're they're the ones who are in charge of hiring the crews and and uh figuring out where you know all the trucks are going to go and where the the trailers are going to be parked and so there's there's all sorts of different types of producers that are involved i mean it really takes a village but the kind of producing that I've I've mostly done and, and the you know like with Hulk Hogan and with with Beer Run that's been mostly mostly like identifying the properties, uh, developing the initial ideas, getting them set up with financiers, and that's why I've I've kind of been able to hitch my ride to projects, you know, like that, uh, and 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 get various varying degrees of of producing credits, uh, and then Nightmare Cinema was one that I took you know, the whole way through from, from, you know, initial conversation to release, uh, kind of supervising the entire, the entire shebang, I guess. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Any Hayes or Heiss? Any Heiss. Yeah. Any uh-huh. Heiss. She's fantastic yeah. in this movie, in the Alpine. Thank you. And Brittany Ratledge. And maybe I'm extrapolating or maybe jumping into con- to conclusions, but I'm a huge fan of uh, movies from the forties and fifties and, and he reminds me of someone, maybe Barbara Stanwyck in the mid to late 50s. And Brittany Ratledge would be maybe the ingenue coming up and being just so intimidated. I'm just wondering, how were you able to, as a lifelong cinephile, shoehorn that type of inspiration that you got from maybe some of those, a lot of those poverty role filmmakers or film noir filmmakers and put them into a lifetime TV movie? Because I just found that to be, in, in a weird way, very brilliant and and ingenious on your part thanks well i mean you know if you go back and you look a lot of uh the the thrillers from that era i mean those are the kind of 
genesis for what you would call a lifetime movie now. The only difference between uh, a lifetime movie and, and a thriller, you know, that deals with marital or spousal issues or domestic issues uh, is, is the level of cast, right? I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't uh, my favorite movie, but there was a, a Netflix movie that came out a couple of weeks ago with Amy Adams in it called uh, The Woman in the Window, right? I mean, <laughs> had you cast that movie differently, that could have easily been a Lifetime movie, you know, but it just happened to have the big budget and the big glossy cast, right? Uh, so so I think, you know, it's it, Lifetime movies, I think, get a bum rap because they get made very quickly and they get made very cheaply. Uh, and, and there's a whole cottage industry that kind of supports this giant beast uh, you know, you have, you have, you have the network who is putting out, you know, at least three new movies of the week a week, right? They can't, they can't put out all that content themselves. There's just no way to do it. So they hire all these other kind of smaller producers and they try to make the movie at a price that they know they can make money from lifetime when they sell it to them. Right. So that means keeping the costs and the schedules as low and as low as humanly possible. So you're never going to get Amy Adams in a lifetime movie because the budgets and the schedules just don't support getting that level of actor. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, But to answer your question, like, yeah, I mean, you know, Annie Heiss, uh, when when we sat down and we talked you know, very briefly before shooting, like, and I mean, like the day before, because uh, casting was nuts on this, and we can talk about <laughs> that. But, but uh, uh, you know, I I said my my archetype for that character was basically a uh, Hitchcock blonde, you know, meets meets Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so that was that was kind of the you know the archetype was. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I was, I wanted her to have that kind of tippy hedron cadence from the birds, you know, and I think you can even hear it kind of in her, in her voice when she speaks, you can hear that kind of homage to, to tippy. Uh, so that was kind of the, the, the thought there. And, um, and then, yeah, I mean, and then casting Brittany, we wanted to cast someone who, you know, was going to have that opposite look, who was going to have that kind of girl next door look. Um, like you said, like the, the young ingenue uh, that was that was very the opposite of that kind of icy uh, Hitchcock film noir blonde. Femme fatale. Femme fatale. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, Nightmare Cinema. Uh, you also uh, directed a segment, one I watched that was really good, The Dark, Deadly and Dreadful. Oh, yeah. Um, so you saw Takeout? I, I, I saw the whole thing that it, it was a, it was a really good mix. Um, it, it's kind of like, uh, like any good anthology, like, look, if you don't like this one, just go to the next one. And that, <laughs> that one might be your speed. Uh, and I thought, I thought this one was really good because every, every entry was a, almost like a, just a completely different, different take. There wasn't the only cohesion be, beyond all or throughout all of them was they're all horror. The uh, uh, one with the Ouija, I don't want to give it away, but the Ouija one's particularly clever, I thought. <laughs> um, uh, your uh, writing partner, Chris Lamont, got the writing credit on that. Did he write all of those? Uh, no, it was so the only one we did on that was was uh, Takeout, was the, the short with the um, older couple who accidentally bring home a serial killer. Yeah. Uh, and and Keep it down, uh, we're trying to eat. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and uh, 
so so the you know the origin story on that one is uh, well but just a broader first like that's a fun size horror uh release um and fun size horror is um uh molly elfman who's who's great and like really involved in the film community uh her father is actually danny elfman uh which is which is really cool i met her at a test screening um and uh, we became friends and uh i got involved with their website which you know kind of curates horror shorts um and so they did uh dark deadly and dreadful which was a i guess a, a a even more curated version of like hey let's take some of our favorites and mash them together into a horror anthology and so that's that's how takeout kind of became part of that feature but originally takeout was a standalone short um and it was before chris and i actually started writing together um it was actually the first thing we collaborated on creatively uh, when I was getting ready to move out to Los Angeles, I knew I needed a calling card piece. You know, I was going to, I had this whole really long, really elaborate short film script that I was going to try to do. And I mean, we would have, it would have been like, you know, my apocalypse now. Like it was, <laughs> it was we, had, we did not have the money for it and it would have taken way longer and been way more expensive than, than could have been realized. And, uh, you know, Chris kind of was like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you look at this script that, that I wrote? Uh, and I, I read it and I fell in love with it. And I love horror comedy. And um, I saw a chance to, to kind of show off some range uh, with, with some, some scares, some gross outs, some laughs. Uh, and, and in my mind, if I'm going to show, you know, if this is going to be my calling card piece when I moved to Los Angeles, I wanted something that had that dynamic range uh, and it very much fit within our budget. Like we, I mean, we shot it at my parents' house for, for God's sakes, <laughs> my poor parents, but uh, um, you know, so we, we were able to do it really, really cheaply. I mean, that, that whole short costs around $3,000, I think, uh, but it doesn't look it. I think it looks pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, so, so that, and that short ended up getting me, my job that that short and another short that I did called peeping tom uh the the producer of x-men watched both of them and that's that's how i got my job he watched those shorts and he said uh you've got the talent you've got the entre- entrepreneurial spirit you don't know anything you don't know how the industry works so come work for me that's how i got my start so you and chris lamont are writing partners I do a bit of writing myself and I can't imagine having someone looking over my shoulder as I'm writing. How, how does writing <laughs> teams work? Like in, in the real world, do you just do one of you write a draft and then hand it off to the next one or do you yeah, take I like mean, a scene and give it, and then they do a scene so on and so forth. Or how does that go? You know, it's interesting. I think every writing team has like you, you ask any writing team, you're going to get a different answer. You know what I mean? Like, cause you have to figure out a rhythm that works for you. And I think that you also have to find someone that, you know, and you trust uh, intrinsically. Um, and, and, you know, Chris, I've known for, Oh my God, I don't even know how many years now, I guess we met in probably 2005. 69 uh, years. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's been 16 years that I've, I've known him now. Uh, so that's, wild uh to me but so so the long and short of it is uh, you know what we do is we we develop the outline together there's a lot of like when we're trying to crack the initial idea and we're trying to flush out the story 
it's we 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 have conversations just like we're having a conversation now. We're just pitching ideas back and forth creatively until we feel like we have the nuts and bolts of the story kind of outlined. Uh, and then once we have that kind of comprehensive outline, then we go into drafting. And what we do is um, I'll usually do a pass on a scene. I will send it off to him. He'll do a pass on that scene and send it back to me. I'll go through, I'll do another pass. I'll move on to the next scene. And then slowly, 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 we start to build, you know, a whole draft by basically just passing these pages back and forth, you know, every, every day, every night. Right. And, uh, and then once we have that full kind of vomit draft, I guess that, 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 which it's hard to call it even a vomit draft because by the time it's done, it's been passed back and forth so many times and tweaked so many times. It's more like a second or third draft. But once we have that full, that full draft, uh, then we, we go through it together page by page and we read it aloud and we, we hear it and we bring up any issues that we might have. And, uh, you know, we'll debate things, you know, until one caves, <laughs> And, uh, and then, and then we'll keep going. And then eventually once we've done that pass where we read through and we've debated and we've massaged it and polished it, um, then we'll send it out to feedback from some kind of select friends and, and such. Wow. Joe, with all I, the producing and direct, sorry, Eric, um, Joe, with all the producing and directing that you do, and as well as your collaboration with Mick, you know, the, the, I guess the adage that no one that there's not enough time in a, there's not enough time in the day to to do your screenplay i mean coming from you you how do you find the time and i guess maybe your easy answer to that or direct answer is if you really want to write your script you're going to make the time no matter how many plates you have juggling i'm, I'm assuming that's what kind of advice you give to people who want to be in, in this business yeah i think i think that i think you actually kind of answered the question yourself i mean like if you want to write you will find the time to write uh now now that that is not to say that like not every day is 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 easy to find that time you know what i mean because like you said there are a lot of other responsibilities that i'm dealing with on, on other projects and such but i think what what kind of opened the my eyes at least was you know i was writing in in the in the morning and at night when i was working around my development job i you know when we were kind of writing those first couple crappy screenplays that no one will ever see that will sit in the drawer uh, you know, um, until we wrote the one that got us our, our kind of start, um, you know, and, and so I was doing that in the morning and at night and I'd get an hour in here or an hour in there, you know, um, and eventually you still, you would have a script. Um, and when I, when I left the development world and I, I made the commitment to go fully independent and, and really try to chase writing as, as my primary, uh, focus, um, uh, a really, really great screenwriter named Ken Nolan, uh, who wrote Black Hawk Down and and uh, tran- one of the Transformers movies, he he said to me something that kind of opened my eyes, which is most professional writers they only get like three or four good hours a day, you know, um, like like they'll they'll really focus and buckle down, and the writing will be done in like a three four hour window. And I was like, well, I can find three or four hours, you know. I can, I can carve out three hours a day and, and try to jam out a couple pages. Um, because I think what happens is, you know, I think the, the illusion is we, we have this dream of writers sitting down at a keyboard for eight hours a day, right? 
But the reality is a lot of writing happens when you're not writing. It's when you're walking around or you're in the shower or you're, you know, working out and you're, cause you're constantly thinking about the story. Right. Uh, so it's, it's always kind of churning and burning in your head. So when you actually sit down at the keyboard, you're really only going to get a couple good, good hours in before you burn out, you know? Um, and so once I kind of gave myself permission to be like, okay, I don't have to sit, you know, eight hours a day, I can focus on some of my other projects and then I can focus on writing for part of my day. Uh, that kind of helped, um, you know, open, open my eyes up to, to being able to balance both careers. Now it doesn't always work out that way, right? Like deadlines, uh, <laughs> studio deadlines and financier deadlines kind of mean, okay, I got to maybe put some producing stuff on the side while I, while I do force myself to sit down at the keyboard for, for eight, eight hours a day or so. But like when I'm, when we're writing on spec, when we're working on, on new material, um, that's kind of how I tend to balance it. How does, uh, you don't seem to be one that's real precious about your writing because you seem to have a, uh, uh, well, you're a producer, so you obviously have the producer mind. But I uh, mentioned uh, a little bit on Twitter about a hard kill. And, uh-huh. you, and you said you had, you said uh, you and Chris had a completely different script than what was shot. And I guess, I guess the question is like, like, even though you don't get precious about it, does it kind of, uh, is there some kind of emotional toll that it takes on you when you have to change the script so much? Or uh, do you just, is it just something you just, just water off your back and, okay, this is what you want. And then that's what we're going to write or how how does that affect you? I mean, there's like, there's kind of two different mindsets, right? Like, I mean, hard kill is such a specific instance and we can talk a little bit about that, but like with developments, you're always going to get notes, right? People are always going to give you feedback. I heard a really, really great quote the other day. Uh, Walter Hill was quoting another famous screenwriter, uh, but he, he essentially said that screenwriting is one of the weirdest forms of literature because the primary audience that you're writing for as a screenwriter is looking to pick your thing apart. <laughs> They're literally actively reading it to try to find ways to change it. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's a really strange thing because you are trying to write the best thing that you can and the best thing you know that you can come up with creatively but there are going to be so many layers of people in between what you wrote and what ends up on screen and some of those people might have great ideas and some of those people might have not so great ideas and your job is to try to balance it out all the different feedback and get uh, that, that, that project as far as you can in that process between page and screen. Uh, And, you know, sometimes, you know, you're not going to get it the whole way there and and they're going to bring somebody in to write on top of you. And and that's why you see movies that end up having three, four or five writers plus. Right. Um, So, so, you know, it's, 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 it's just kind of part of the, the system is that, you know, producers and executives, they will write, they will work with the writer as long as they possibly feel they can get the most out of them, you know? Um, and you kind of, I, I, you kind of just have to um, know going in that you might not be the last writer on the thing. And, uh, and that's okay. That's just part of the process, you know? Um, so, so in that sense, I think you have to have, you know, but, but 
that doesn't mean that notes don't hurt, you know, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't mean that, um, you know, uh, 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 feedback, you know, when someone tells you, I mean, you know, if you were to say to me right now, Joe, I don't like your t-shirt. I mean like that, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's going to resonate. <laughs> I, I can't even see your t-shirt. Do this. Silver Shamrock. From Halloween, Silver Shamrock. From, from uh, Halloween three. Right. Anyway, uh, but, 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 um, you know, <laughs> but, but, but that would, that would hurt, right? Like there's, there's a, you know, that would, uh, the same way if you said, I don't like this line, you know, well, you spent time thinking about that line, crafting that line, you know, trying to make it work. Right. So, so notes have to be, I'll tell you one thing. I've gotten much better at giving notes now that I'm writing professionally. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I was probably maybe a little too br- blunt and honest when I was in my early development exec producing days. Um, and I do think over time I've learned to, to talk to writers in a way because I know how I want to be talked to, you know, uh, and I think that's why there's still so many writers that want to develop with me, even though my writing schedule is crazy now. Um, you know, I think I can still help writers maybe do some of their best work because i've 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 been on both sides of the table if that makes sense yeah uh, so yeah but i i i kind of brushed around hard kill but I'm, I'm happy to go circle back to it uh so i mean that one was so specific um you know and and what i what i alluded to you know when you via twitter which uh you know is is I would say of our original script, the original script that we wrote that sold, uh, I would say about 10% of that is actually in the movie. Um, so at some point along the process, uh, the rubber hit the road and the budget of the movie was not going to support what we wrote in the original speculative screenplay. And, you know, we had to basically face a really tight schedule and a really tight budget, which meant reshaping the entire narrative uh to do that um and you know and and again you know it's one of those things where we took it as far as we could in that process um we did our pass contractually there was no steps left for us to do uh another pass and the production company because in between it's, it's kind of a long and confusing story, but we joined the writer's guild in between when we did the deal on that script and when we would have had to do the rewrites. And because of that, because the, the, the contract had been honored, they couldn't hire us uh, to, to do another rewrite without making the script become a union writer's guild script, which would have made their costs, go way up. Uh, so they didn't want to do that. So rather than having us keep working on the script, uh, they had the director come in and do a free pass on top of it. Um, and, and so I think he kind of, he, he did the rest of the leg work, you know, based on producers notes, based on his own notes and kind of took the, the rough revamp that we did and made the movie that you ultimately saw. Joe am, I, am, oh, Joe, am I dead in your eyes because I actually really enjoyed that movie? <laughs> no, no, you're not dead in my eyes at all. Uh, I Look, I think, like, like when I said there was 10% of maybe the original script in that movie, 
when we did the rewrite, when we did the reshape, I would say like 60% of that movie is, is still kind of what we wrote. Um, there's, there's still like, there's look, it's, it's tough. It's always a weird experience. I think when you're watching someone else translate your, your baby uh, and, and let alone, you know, when there's like one or two drafts in between that you had nothing to do with. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I think there are things about that movie that I I'm, I'm really impressed with. Like, Matt had no time to make that movie. And I think he got some really good looking action and, and fight scenes in there uh, with, with no time and no money. And I actually think the, the, the fight between Miller and the partner at the end is pretty good. And I think that that's, you know, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. Um, and I like to think that, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, worked the grudge match between them you know, through the movie, like I kept them away from each other. I kept them building. I kept them cutting promos on each other. Uh, and then finally they, 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 you know, after Miller runs through a bunch of guys, he gets his shot at the partner. And, and it's, I think, I think that kind of works. There's like, it works on a gut level, you know um, it works on that same, kind of, that same kind of WWE uh, storytelling instinct. Um, so, so I actually think that that piece of the movie works. There's, you know, I mean, there's some, you know, sci-fi stuff that, that didn't quite track. There's some character arcs that didn't quite track for me, but, but at the end of the day, it wasn't like it's, it's the producers and the director's movie and they, they needed to make the movie they were going to make. Um, so, you know, it's, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but again, that's, it's just, it's kind of part of the process. I think you, you can't, uh, um, but you know, it is, it is kind of funky when people tweet at you, like, Oh, why did you write this thing? And it's like, well, I, I didn't. Kind of, kind of to bounce that, uh, bounce off that a little bit. Um, Cause we're a movie review podcast and sure. um, us and others of our ilk, you know, uh, people like you go out and uh, make things that you think are going to be cool. And then uh, assholes like us watch and go, <laughs> didn't work for me. It's a piece <laughs> of garbage. I'm the like, asshole. <laughs> but i mean uh i mean that you know th- there's some uh reviewers that are i guess more fair than others but like uh, but then so we we normally get the last word and then sure. if you say anything about it you're that oh he's just comp- planning and go sleep on your pile of money or whatever you know what whatever bullshit <laughs> I, they wish, get. I wish i could sleep on my pile of money <laughs> but, wish but i mean a, wish there was a pile of money to sleep on but uh, i mean what, what, what what's your what's your overall thoughts on that dynamic because it, it i mean uh, even though i'm part of it it does seem a little lopsided i think well, you because know, it's funny. So, so one thing that's not like a highly publicized thing about me, because all of, all of them are, are basically offline at this point. But uh, when I was in college, um, you know, my other degree is in film and media criticism through the Arizona State Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. And uh, while I was there, um, I wrote movie reviews for a ma- local magazine. Um, and that got me into the Phoenix Film Critics Society. Like I was an accredited film critic and they sent me award screeners and and i did that for probably about five years um and then when i realized that i was moving out to los angeles i was like there probably shouldn't be a record of me shitting on (laughs) shitting on people's movies (laughs) uh that people could go just point to and be like that he just called my (laughs) he just called my movie an abortion like (laughs) like, (laughs) 
so so I, I definitely know I, I I understand what you're talking about because I've been in that position myself. I think the difference with me, and I think you know, and I think it's great that you guys are like taking the time to like interview filmmakers and stuff too and learn more about the process because I think where a lot of rubber meets the road with uh film criticism online is they don't know enough about the process or the craft to understand what they watched, right? They're just giving a knee-jerk response. Did I like this or did I not? Um, and I think that, that I think if you're going to criticize something, you need to be an expert in it, right? Uh, and, and the nice thing was when I was writing movie reviews, I was going through film school at the time. So at least I was, I was, attempting to become an expert by learning right uh so so but of course my reviews reflected a very snobby film student's opinions uh so so not not you know and uh you know now that i'm several years out from that uh i feel like my my taste has developed uh and and what i can appreciate in a movie has developed and also too knowing how freaking hard it is to make a movie how near impossible it is even a bad movie is kind of a miracle uh you know so so knowing that i have i have this kind of new appreciation um but you know i i think that uh you know it's it's whether so at least i have kind of a perspective on it um you know because i've certainly seen like nightmare cinema for example I'm I'm still kind of flabbergasted that uh, we're we're certified fresh and rotten tomatoes. Like I I think it's a, a crazy achievement. The first movie I made as a producer uh, got that, and I'm I'm super happy about it. Um, but Shouldn't be that like, surprising. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I mean, but but like you know, but when you when you make a movie, all you see are the flaws, yeah, right? Man. And I love that movie, but like there's still things about it that I wish we could have had more money or more time or you know, could have done whatever. Right. But like, for me, I was expecting 40 to 50%, right? Like that was, that was where my tomato meter head was at for that movie. You know, I was like, there's going to, cause, cause and especially with anthology, it's so hard because you have five store, you have five chances to lose people, you know? <laughs> uh, and if one person has enough of a visceral reaction to one segment, it can taint all of them, you know? Um, so, so I was, I was very nervous and, and very pleasantly surprised, um, you know, with, with, with hard kill, I think a lot of critics targeted that movie because Bruce has been making a lot of movies like that. And they saw this as just another cash grab for Bruce. Um, and, and, you know, they're not, that's not an unfair criticism, but I think that kind of skewed their entire perspective on the movie. And, maybe they weren't seeing and and you know and and we have like a 60 percent or 60 plus percent uh audience score right now um so clearly there are people out there who like the movie you know um so so i mean the, the difference between critics and fans i mean we could go on that forever right but but uh um you know so i i i feel like i'm rambling but uh joe we're on rambling man 
Joe, we're yeah. almost going to close out this interview, but and Bruce is going to ask you a movie question. I'm actually going to jump <laughs> right ahead of Bruce, and I apologize, Bruce. Bruce is going to yell at me after this interview. But ah. you, know, you, you had one cardinal sin during this interview. You mentioned the name Walter Hill. And whenever someone mentions Walter Hill, we got to really talk, talk about him just for very quickly. My question <laughs> to you is, what A, what is your favorite Walter Hill film? Has to be one. And number two, what is the most underrated Walter Hill film, in your opinion, and please include the, the caveat is you have to include the long riders in either one of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, again, I think you just answered another one of your own questions. So, hey, look, I, I look, I, I, God, I mean, he's made so many great movies. I mean, I love Forty Eight Hours. I mean, that's that's one that like always works for me. But I, you know, I still think, you know, and he was a producer and and writer on this. But I still think Alien is just like it's. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, so it's like, how can I not point to that? Um, and I know Walter's made so many great movies himself too. Uh, but but like that, I mean, Alien is top ten for me. So uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess I'm going to jump in here. I didn't get to hardly say anything to you, so nice to meet you, Joe. (laughs) Nice to meet you too, Bruce. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to say I love your shirt, and Halloween 3 season of The Witch is amazing, so beautiful shirt. I just And we did a lot of craft stuff, so I just want to really quickly throw this out, and then I'll ask you a question. Um, I appreciate you talked a little bit about your comedy sense and I really appreciate the aesthetic you have here. And, and I've only seen, um, Opera nightmare and takeout. I watched both of them. Awesome. Um, and to me, at least in those two, I really see a aesthetic of kind of this very dark humorous <laughs> version of this kind of perfect Americana that you always see. I mean, you got these kind of various stereotypical types of families or arrangements that are, that get undercut, like literally and, <laughs> and <laughs> not so literally. I, I just wonder, is that kind of speak to your overall aesthetic? And I also wondered, and I'll have one other question at the end. I also wondered, is there a darker, even crazier version of Opera Nightmare in your brain? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are two interesting. Okay, so that's a really astute observation. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think it goes back to just some of the things that I loved growing up. I mean, and, and getting to work with him on um, on Nightmare Cinema was, was huge, but Joe Dante was a big influence on me. And I love the <laughs> way he balances horror and comedy and, and, and does, you know, I mean, like the Burbs, for example, I think speaks to exactly what you're talking about. And that's, that's just a movie that I adore and I love, um, you know, so, so, and he loved kind of taking those things and turning them on their heads. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think that um, I can't, I can't help but feel like some of that has, has rubbed off on me. Uh, so, so uh, I, I do see a lot of that in, in a lot of my directing work. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think to speak to whether there's a darker version of Opera, <laughs> I mean, there absolutely is. And there was uh, in the script form, there was, you know, the, the climax was, was much darker um, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I, at this point it's been out for a while. So, so, but like the bad guy, um, you know, yeah, I don't she, want to gets, spoil anything, meets, you know, so <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. But we'll, we'll just say that, uh, while, while maybe water plays into the sure, finale, sure. uh, let's say maybe it was fire instead. Uh, <laughs> I so also, was, let me ask you this. I also yeah. imagine, I imagine this. this is just my brain being my own. I imagine 
a sequel about, mm, let's say, 18 years later, where a huh. young person isn't young anymore, and there have been some real after effects of what happened, and I can imagine a really twisted, twisted sequel. That's but, so funny. <laughs> we, 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 we have, you know, uh, Brittany, the, who played Taylor, who's just a delight. Um, and I think she will make a killer final girl in a horror movie at some point. Um, I, she and I kind of batted around an, a, a silly idea for a sequel, which I'll, I'll pitch to you guys if you want to hear it. Uh, but, but basically the idea would be like, you know, Brittany's going back to school, right? And uh, Taylor, so Taylor's going back to school and she starts to see what she assumes is Alessandra uh, kind of, you know, haunting her, following her, stalking her, etc. cetera, uh, only to pull like a super soapy lifetime thing and have it be like the evil twin uh, <laughs> who's come back for revenge. Uh, what if for, she for blamed <laughs> What if she blamed Brad for her whole life? Doesn't it, Brad? <laughs> and now, yeah, as a, as a I would retired totally performer. watch that. I would totally watch that. that. Would you guys watch that? That's a total. That's a total home run, right? Yeah, I, we, yes. we always thought it would be really fun. Would, would be a really fun little twist, and 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 really just soapy and silly, and and. Yeah. Uh, um, but but alas, I don't think that will probably ever come to pass. But, uh, <laughs> it was a fun little thought experiment for a half a second when we were editing the movie. Uh, but, but uh, um, yeah, no. So, but to answer your question is yes. I mean, like the, the, the challenge of making that movie was, you know, my producers wanted it to fall within specific guidelines uh, creatively because they wanted to be able to make sure that it could, you know, eventually have a home on a place like a lifetime. Uh, right. And so in order to do that, they wanted to make sure that there wasn't too much blood and there wasn't too much gore and there wasn't anything too scary. And so, um, you know, there was a whole sequence that got ripped out of the script where, I mean, it was basically like the Caleb's chasing uh, Taylor and her sister around the house, very kind of slasher esque kind of sequences, suspense sequences uh, that would have been a ton of fun to shoot. Um, but the, the budget and schedule and, and ultimately I think just creatively, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't quite work. So, so to, I guess to answer your question is like, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it even goes back to what Eric said kind of at the beginning, like there, there was a version where we could have really ramped up the terror, I think at the end, um, you know, but I still think we got away with a lot considering the genre uh and considering yeah. you know the the guardrails we kind of had put up um and so i'm i'm pretty happy that you know and i think the scariest thing about the movie ultimately is you know the psychological afflictions that the the villain has um and i think that's kind of the longest lingering chilling kind of thought uh you know and and because there are so many people online especially now with social media who feel like they have relationships with celebrities. Um, right. And I thought, I thought that was a really interesting kind of idea to sneak into a lifetime movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> so um, was, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Before we lose you, I also want to do one little thing as we always do this. Um, sure. We uh, every week 
well, every week we reviewed our various movies and stuff. We bring them to the table. But at the very end, every week, we review something that I've randomly, literally picked out of a box. Um, <laughs> and every time we have uh, actors or directors on here, we also ask them. And the idea is that we're talking about our aesthetic and all these fun things that you've liked in your past. Like something that you wish you heard talked about more or people don't talk about it enough. It's some little favorite gem of yours. And we throw it in the box. And when it gets pulled out, we'll review it for the world and ourselves. Do you have something that fits that description? I do. I have an idea. I have, I have one. I'll tell you the first one that pops in my head. Uh, so yeah, the first movie that pops in my head when, when you, you say that is uh, in, in terms of just a gem that I wish more people had seen is, is a thriller. I'm not going to pitch a horror movie. I'm going to pitch a thriller. Um, it came out a couple of years ago. It's called Ingrid Goes West. Yes. Yes. Yeah, really. You haven't really, talked about it on here, so that's a good one. Oh, that's oh, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a really uh, creepy, weird, darkly funny thriller. Uh, stars Aubrey Plaza, um, Elizabeth Olsen, um, Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's kid. Uh, you know, so like really, really terrific cast. Really weird movie. Great dialogue. Really well shot goes in directions you won't expect and you know also kind of comments on kind of sticking with the theme from off air kind of that that uh instagram celebrity culture and feeling that we're so close to people through social media uh kind of a really terrifying worst case scenario of a uh social media fan gone awry uh excellent it will go into the box and will come out at some point to be talked about awesome cool i will Thank love you. to uh hear you guys chat about it when when you do I got one last thing. Uh, awesome. The uh, on IMDb, the the whole Kogan biopic is called Untitled To Kogan biopic. Yeah. Can you please call it? Let me tell you something, brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not really a question. That's a pitch. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I don't know what the title is going to end up being. Um, the the script that got Todd Phillips attached uh, was called Real American. Um, oh, that's a good one too. <laughs> and I, I, I still love that title for this. So I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of pulling for maybe that'll be the, the one. Um, but uh, that was, that was, that was a real, that was, you know, a riff on his theme song uh, for people who don't know, but uh, yeah. So that was, we'll see, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. You just know? don't call it, just don't call it Hulk. That'll confuse people. Yeah, or maybe, or maybe maybe we do. We'll call it the Incredible Hulk. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time with us. And thank you. Is there anything else you want to plug before you're out of here? No, I, I well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, I my just you can find me on Twitter at Joe Russo tweets and on Instagram at Joe Russo Graham. Uh, check out the podcast I produce, Postmortem with Mick Garris. Um, we're on every Wednesday, and we have really great guests ranging from like. Stephen King to Guillermo del Toro to John Carpenter. Um, so it's it's kind of a dream come true for me to meet these people. Uh, so And hopefully you can learn something by listening to them talk. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks, guys. I appreciate uh, awesome. having me on. Thank, Thank you for thank coming you. on. Thank you, bro. You take care. Right. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.